Welcome to Be The Light Podcast with C.B. Barthlow, lead pastor of Denver Beacon. I am your host, Pastor Ty Morris. Our desire is to lead the lost, the broken, and the hopelessness of our communities, to be light bearers in our city set on a hill. Now tune in for our sermon series. If you have your Bibles, do me a favor, open it back up to the exact same place we've been for a month. Genesis chapter 3. We've, or sorry, Galatians. Which is funny because we spent all that time in Genesis, right? All right. Good, somebody's paying attention. Galatians 3. We finally finished verses 15 through 18 today. I'm just going to read um, just the next several verses because I don't want us to get too far ahead of ourselves. We're going to do uh, Galatians 19 through 22, okay? Galatians chapter 3. 19 through 22. The Apostle Paul continues this conversation to the churches in Galatea. He's teaching to a church he's planted, several churches to whom he loves, who are being infiltrated by false teachers he calls the Judaizers, who are saying it's good for Jesus and you should also practice Mosaic law, specifically the rite of circumcision. And the whole letter is Paul resetting doctrine so that we understand law and Jesus and get it right. In 19, he says this, so why then the law? Well, it was added because of transgressions until the offspring, that's who? Jesus should come to whom the promise had been made, and it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now, an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. The title of our message is uh, A Promise We Can Count On. And the whole conversation was supposed to be one message. We're in the third week, we'll likely be in a fourth. And we just last week finished our first point, which was talking about the promises of God. And so that you don't forget, we talked about God's covenants to Adam, to Noah, Abraham, David, the new covenant. We discovered that through all of them was a promise of the Messiah to come. Today we're going to talk about the ways in which God makes a way for us to receive those promises, even when we do everything in our power to break those promises. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. You rule and reign in this place. I cancel every demonic being in this building, every power and every principality. You are gone in Jesus' name. Every difficulty and every attack is defeated by the power of the blood of Jesus. It's said that when you preach, you preach not just to the congregation, but to the demons and the devils in the atmosphere and in the environment. And so right now I say flee. This is our time. And the only name that has power in this room is the name that is above every name. His name is Jesus, Yeshua HaMashiach, the Messiah, the Christ, the promised one. He reigns supreme. Now, Holy Spirit, seal this room. Amen and amen. Okay. Whew. I might dance again. 
Finally, Paul says the question we've all asked at some point in our faith journey. What is the point of the law? I mean, if the whole thing has been about Jesus and we've been saved by grace through faith, boy, then why did the law even exist? Especially if misunderstanding the law causes people to lose sight of the lawgiver and has them practicing empty ritual that does not lead to life and in fact imprisons them in death. If you've ever asked this question, so wait, how did the Old Testament people get saved? This is the answer. Remarkably, last night my oldest son came in my room sat on my bed and he said just that. I don't get it. How do they get saved? And, and Paul is answering this question because no doubt as he's been teaching to the, sh- the churches in Galatea against the Judaizers and the false teachers, some of them are then asking, well, wait a minute. What about our forefathers? What about the patriarchs? You're telling me that those who adhered to the law, you're going to tell me that David himself who loved the law and believed in the law isn't saved lest he say the sinner's prayer? No, that's not what he's saying. And that's not true for you either. So let's nip this in the bud. Saying the sinner's prayer does not save you that is actually religion. If you come to church and you're spiritually and emotionally moved and they sweat and dance and they say, all that you need to do is repeat after me. Jesus, I'm a sinner. And you go, oh, sinner. I invite you into my heart. I invite you in my heart. (laughs) Be my Lord and my Savior. Uh, Savior, Lord. Amen. And then the pastor says, would you stand up? And you stand up. And he says, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, ten, twenty, seven, seven. And then on social media, he says, 412 people said yes to Jesus today. Oh, I'm coming for the church today. I hope y'all don't mind. He says, look at all the impact we've had. And all of the people who said the prayer leave. And next week, end of the same message. Same people. All you need to do is say this prayer. Uh, yes, I'm a Amen. And he counts them again. And every week, same people saying same prayer, not changed. Amen? That's called religion. That's the same thing as saying a million Hail Marys and still struggling with the same thing because guilt is what you feel, not redemption, not freedom, right? This is the problem with us as humans is we just want to know what are the steps. Just tell me, just give me the manual. And they're like, here's the manual. No, give me a shorter one. Seriously. Give me the cliff notes about how to be saved. That's why this question is asked all the time. The rich young ruler says, what must I do? Y'all with me? And so Jesus doesn't give him a 12-step plan to get saved. He says, lose everything and follow me. Because what's he inviting him to? Relationship, dependence, reliance, faith. Because we're saved by grace through Y'all with me? Before we talk about a single thing, we have to address the fact that we're pro- we're, we have a propensity to just want to know the rules so we can do the bare minimum and call ourselves good. And so Paul says, 
what is even the point of the law if we're so bad at the law? Here's the point. God is perfect, holy, and righteous. And he wants us to know that. Amen? He's not ambiguous about his character. He's clear and intentional to indicate to you and I that sin does not come nigh, that everything he touches is good, that he's perfect, and there is no defeating him. Amen. And he wants you to know that and know that if he's holy, you are not. And you're like, well, that's, that's offensive except that it's not offensive, it's redemptive. You see, the best thing that someone can do if they love you is to tell you the truth. If you and I are walking this life together and you are living like a fool, it is unloving of me to just be like super awesome foolery. I'm a, I'm a walking truth. You mess it all up. I just don't want it to get weird between us. Amen? And God's like, oh, I will make it as weird as it needs to be. The wages of sin is death. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father set through me. So, trust me. Amen. And so here's the beautiful part about this whole process is that God wants us to know this and so he gives us a mechanism by which to know him in his holiness. Next week, we're gonna talk about how you and I know God in his perfection and holiness. It's the person of Jesus. But the nation of Israel, the people that God had chosen who had called out through whom he would bless the whole world from the patriarchs of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, then Joseph and Moses who brought them out, the way he reveals his holiness and perfection to them is by writing it for them and saying, this is what it looks like if you are mine. Do you see this? I'm trying to teach this for a second. The law was not meant only to be a set of rules that if you ticked them, you'd be good. The rules were put in place so you and I would see the great standard of our God. Be compelled to be like him. And when fall short, lean deeper into him. That was the purpose. And in that way, the law was God's primary act of grace to the people of Israel. You see, you've heard it said before that these two theological concepts are different. Grace and law, right? We go to grace-filled churches where you're perfect just the way you are. And we condemn legalistic churches where the preacher looks like this. And we think they're different, but God doesn't think they're different. To God, the law is grace. Oh, you're missing it. This is the teaching. The law is him saying, you guys are crazy. What are you doing? Hold up. I have something that can help you. What if I told you what it was like to be like me? Would it help you if I gave you instructions that showed you what my children would look like? 
And here's the best part about this process is that earlier in this chapter, Paul said that this law, this teaching, this covenant came 430 years after the promise given to Abraham, which is interesting because the exact amount of time that Israel spent in Egypt in slavery was 430 years. And the reason that Paul is writing this term, this number in the text is because he's trying to make a connection between what God does and how we live, what God does so that we can live differently. Here's how I want to say this in your hearing today. When it comes to the dysfunction of Israel living in the bondage of slavery, God's primary response, nay, his only response to dysfunction is the word. Why does this matter? because you're going through a dysfunctional thing right now. You got a weird relationship. You got a strange situation. You've been through some trauma. The demon of addiction or mental illness is chasing after you. You've never had a track record of getting things right. And I meet with so many of you and you tell me about the dysfunction and the demonic attack that is over your life. And you say, what should I do? And I invariably say, are you reading your Bible? And you say, I need help. I don't need this religious stuff. Pastor, I'm just gonna level with you. I'm not in that, but that's not what I need right now. What I need is a good therapist. I need a new girlfriend. I need a better job. I just need, I've heard this, I just need to make $1,000 more a month. And then I will get what I need. Except if you've ever lived by experience, you know none of those will fulfill. Amen? You can do therapy from, from now until forever and still be broken. Amen? Now, I'm not knocking therapy because I believe in Jesus and therapy. But notice which one came first. If you just do therapy, you just do self-help, you just do things that are meant to give you help but exclude God's word, then you miss God's number one plan for your life. So you say, I need real help, pastor, I'm struggling. And I say, are you in the word? And you say, no. And I say, well, if you get in the word, then we can have a next steps conversation because it doesn't even make any sense for me to refer you to somebody if you're not talking to the one body who can change all the things. And this isn't just my opinion, friends. When Egypt leaves, when, when Israel leaves Egypt in the height of their dysfunction, make no mistakes, you live in bondage for 430 years. You aren't healed when you walk out. Amen? You're in a bad relationship. You break up. How many of you are perfectly whole the next day? Oh, I'm just going to be a wonderful mate now. No, you know what you are? You're a wrecking ball. You're like, watch how many people I can bruise through the next four relationships. You're just on Tinder, just like, how many hearts am I going to break? <laughs> Why? Because bondage doesn't bring forth function. It brings forth dysfunction. And so when God rescues the people from slavery and sends them on the exodus to the promised land, a journey that wasn't supposed to take very long and ends up taking 40 years, it takes 40 years because they are bums with bad choices dysfunction because of bondage. And God's response to our dysfunction is his word. 
So he looks at them. Actually, I think he looks at Moses. And he's like, <laughs> dude, so sorry. I didn't even know. They're bad. And Moses is like, for real, dude, they're really bad, bro. Really bad. He's like, come here, let's talk. And his response is to give the word so that they can see a picture. Now, you're saying, give me the Bible. Okay, great. Paul says, why then the law? Why? Well, it was added because of the transgressions and the disobedience. It was added because they could not get it right. They had no model for how to live out the promise as God's chosen people, the one through whom he would bless the world. They had only seen the oppression of Egypt and the rest of the ancient Near East Semitic cultures that were involved in sacrifice and idol worship. And they were walking a walk they'd never walked before and hoping for a promise, but with no model. So God says, here's the model. Y'all see the law a little bit differently now? The law wasn't oppressive. The law was like finally a map. <sighs> we got a real chance. We might get to the, the promise. The law would have brought hope. That's why in Exodus 24, Moses says, you guys with me? And all of Israel says, we're with you because we've been wandering and dying and this is hope, this is grace, amen? And Paul teaches just a touch more on this whole concept. He says, now keep this in mind. This law was given in response to transgressions and it was given as an act of grace. And then in verse 19, at the end, it says it was put in place, the law, this covenant, this promise, through angels and through an intermediary. And this part could be easy for you to confuse, but we have to hit it because it's super important. Woof, it matters. Okay, he's saying this covenant... The covenant of the law, the conditional covenant between God and his people, originally introduced in Exodus 19 and then sealed and agreed upon in Exodus 24, is what is called a bilateral covenant. It includes two parties, okay? Represent, it's like when you and I sign a contract with somebody, right? And if you're really fancy, you don't go to the meeting. You send your lawyer, amen? And in this meeting, there are intermediaries representing God, his lawyer, his counsel. The Bible says it was presented through angels. God sent angels, the angel of the Lord, as you read throughout the Old Testament, amen, to Mount Zion to deliver the law. Amen. You with me? Bilateral. And on the other side was an intermediary. This intermediary representing the people of Israel, the one who shows up to the meeting on their behalf, is Moses. This is a bilateral covenant between two parties. And in order for this covenant to be both ratified and fulfilled, both parties must agree and hold up to their end of the bargain. Y'all with me? Okay. And Paul says, this covenant, the law, was bilateral, meaning two parts. But at the end of 20, it says, now an intermediary implies more than one, that's two, but God is one. Here's the reason that part's there, because he's referencing the first promise. You see, the promise made to Abraham was not a bilateral covenant, but a unilateral covenant. 
When God made a promise to Abraham, he said, I will bring forth the one. Did he ask Abraham for some buy-in? Did he ask him for some input? Any help? Did Abraham have to sign anything? No. He said, just so we're all clear, uh, this is a contract. You don't have to sign it. My blood is enough. And this is a contract like a will, right? If you create a living will, no one else has to sign it. When you sign it, it's ratified. And the reason that Paul is writing specifically so that you see this distinction is to suggest which one of those has more power. For if there is a bilateral agreement between God and man, it's a little bit weaker than a unilateral covenant between God and God. Y'all with me? You see this? And so he's writing this and saying, God gave us the law because we were boneheads. So we wouldn't be boneheads anymore. And we would be able to see his true promise come to pass no matter how much we messed it up. Amen? So when he asks the question, why then the law? He says, literally, this is the way maker making a way so that as promise keeper, he can keep the promise because you have a tendency to break things. Are y'all with me? That's the teaching. The law has never been bad. But how you see the law can be bad. See, he goes on in this passage of scripture, 21, he says, then is the law contrary? No. Gosh, you guys, it's 1130. I only got two. Some of you are like, I got brunch, bro. <laughs> Let's do this real quick. I'm going to close this with this. How we perceive the law matters, okay? For example, those who see the law of God his word, his teaching, his correction, his discipline as oppressive will rebel against it. Amen? How many of times in your life has someone told you that you cannot do something and then all of a sudden it became the most appealing thing you could think of? Human nature, that's your flesh, desiring to be sinful. And if you and I see the word of God as something hanging over us, prohibitive, oppressive, mean-spirited, judgmental, painful, then we will do everything in our power to resist it, work around it, or rebel against this outright and call it bad so we can call ourselves good. Amen? If you see the law as oppressive. However, for those of you who are on the other end of the spectrum who make the law God, who say, it's the only thing that matters. I'm just going to check the boxes and do what is said. I don't really feel much, but as long as I'm just playing nice, these are people who live good moral lives, who always feel guilty about something, who when I put on Bob Seger in their car, they're like, babe, don't put on, no, no, I'm just joking. It's when people... <laughs> It's when people who are finding themselves, hear me, trapped in moral thinking lose sight of spiritual thinking. And Chanel and I have walked through this journey together because I tend to be on the side of rebellion. I grew up rebelling and she grew up rules and really embraced them. And in both instances, we miss it. Because if you, if you think the law oppressive, you rebel. And if you think the law God, you don't ever develop a relationship with God. And so the right way that Paul wants us to understand to see this as though 
the law is a guardian. And I'll just read this and then we'll finish next week. It says in verse 22, the scripture imprisoned everything under sin. It meant that God gave us the law and his words so that we would understand where iniquity lied. Amen? And then he goes on to say in verse 23, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian. And the picture that he's painting is, if you would see the law correctly as an act of grace meant to hold Israel close to his bosom, then you would understand that when God speaks, when he corrects, when he gives hard word, it's not meant to hurt, but to prune that you might actually grow. Amen. And so when I ask people, are you in the word? I'm not asking because I'm a Bible thumper. But I'm a Bible thumper. I'm asking because I'm wondering if as you've wandered this road and you felt lost and confused and worried, trapped in dysfunction, have you allowed yourself to be embraced by the guardian? Have you leaned into him in such a fashion where he would hold you closer and say, it's not good, we can agree, but I'm going to make it good. Just look at me, just trust me, just walk with me. The funny thing about it is that when people really lean into the word, I find more often than not, they're like, well, I was going to a therapist, but that lady don't know nothing. I've been reading Romans, bro, I'm growing. Because it's a two-edged sword, living and active. And no word returns void. Amen? So here's a final thought and then we'll worship. God's primary method to engage with us is through his word. Please don't be the kind of Christian who just watches other preachers, who listens to influencers, who just listens to worship music, who seeks the advice of people who are Christian Meet him for yourself. Meet him every day for five minutes, 10 minutes. You say, pastor, I don't understand the Bible. I have a King James. Don't worry, no one understands that one. Get yourself a good, easy to read Bible or get it on your phone, ready? Here's a cheat code and listen to it. Just get the word in your belly every day, bit by bit, that he might grow you. Amen? Hear me. God's primary response, primary response is in the Word. Thanks for joining Be The Light Podcast with lead pastor C.B. Barthlow. Visit our website at denverbeacon.org. To download our Beacon app, text Beacon to 97000. Once again, text Beacon to 97000. Whatever you do, please remember to be the light. Let's go!